like to welcome you to church today. Please stand and join us as we begin by singing our praises to God. Open the eyes of the blind. 
To be, and now we've been adopted. 
Come to praise God. We're glad that you're here. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. There's a few things that I want to share that are in your bulletin. Um, next Sunday is the last day to bring your shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. So just take note of that as you're preparing those. Uh, we are hoping to get a, a large number of boxes to send for children throughout the world. Next Sunday at 5, our children's choir is going to be presenting a program called Music Machine. And it's really all about the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about for a number of months, and uh, we hope you'll be a part of this and come and watch them and, and support them and uh, engage in uh, this time as they share music. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, uh, things related to uh, things close to us in our world. I do want to mention a couple of things. Ed Johnson's mother died yesterday after uh, a bit of an illness, and uh, her service will be uh, Tuesday morning in Michigan. They are probably planning a service here a little bit later uh, this uh, November. And also, of course, we want to pray for the people who've been affected by the uh, typhoon in, in the Philippines. Uh, just unbelievable devastation, loss of life. Uh, they're talking maybe 10,000 people who have died. It's just mind-boggling. But uh, the grief and the pain and the loss, uh, we want to pray for God's mercy upon uh, all those who've been affected by that. So I went to vote uh, Tuesday. I was reminded again, of the freedoms that we have in this country. Um, I take it for granted. You know, we, we can go, we can vote, we have elections, uh, and, and there's so many places in the world where they don't. And I, I think today about uh, this weekend as we commemorate Veterans Day and we give thanks to God for all of the people who have sacrificed so that we have this freedom. 
And uh, we want to, uh, to celebrate them and give thanks for them today. This is also a day when we join Christians around the world who are praying for our brothers and sisters who don't have these freedoms. Uh, they do not have the freedom to, to come together to worship. They are under persecution. And churches throughout the world today are praying for the persecuted church. And we want to ask for God's blessing on them, protection, and that they would know that uh, we support them, we love them, we care for them uh, in a way that only he can do. Uh, we also are in the, uh, just about to complete the first week of our three-week prayer vigil. And I, for those of you who have been a part of it, uh, been in the prayer room this week, I hope it's been a very powerful experience for you. Uh, we still have some times available this coming week and uh, encourage you to uh, to come and be a part of this, spend an hour, some people are spending more than an hour in the prayer room, uh, all different times of day, 24 hours a day. Uh, you can sign up this morning and either upper or lower four year as you leave or anytime online at the church website, hwc, hwchurch.org. Uh, and uh, a couple of uh, students, Colleen and Tatum, are going to share with us about their experience in the prayer room and uh, just as a word of encouragement as a uh, as they uh, have had their experiences there, and maybe to hear a little bit about what might could be our experiences as well. Um, all right, my name is Tatum, and I am a senior on the uh, Houghton College field hockey team. And uh, this week, we were able to come together as a team and just uh, just pray together, and that was really cool. Um, I transferred in last year. I came from a secular university in Canada. And it was never something that I had seen before. Um, I'd never had, I'd never met a Christian field hockey player before. So just to come together as a team, um, just lifting each other up, it was like an experience I've never had. So that was really neat. Um, and we've been really intentional about uh, praying for the future of our, um, our field hockey team. And so we were really intentional to pray for the recruits that have um, been staying with us and, um, and I think that that's, that's really important, just especially as a senior, just lifting up those that are, that are coming um, next year. So that was really cool. My name is Colleen, and I also play field hockey. And um, one of our goals this year as a team was to pray for and with uh, the other teams that we played um, every single game that we had this season. And we were very successful with that. Um, and so we just lifted up all the girls that we got to pray with and as well as our future teams that we will be playing next year. Um, and just that God will be preparing their hearts um, and ours as well to just speak with them and just show the love that he's given us for them. Uh, we also went on a missions trip this summer to Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and we did a lot of time in prayer before going on the trip, um, which was amazing as a team, but we really focused on also praying after our trip um, and just lifting up all the people that we interacted with down there as well. Um, if you haven't done uh, prayer down in the room, I would really suggest it. It's amazing. There's all different ways to pray. Um, if you normally just sit with your Bible, uh, you can listen to music, or you can color and draw, or put things on a cross. Um, there's so many different outputs that you can do uh, just to really just give back and surrender yourself to God. So I would suggest it. Um, Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward now to assist us as we give back to God just some of all that he has blessed us with.
Can you hear it? The gentle voice of the Spirit. There's no reason to fear it. He's calling you to life. Just surrender. Run into the arms of the Father. The night is finally over. Take a step into the light. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, can you hear all the angels are singing? This is the day, the day when life begins. Sing with us. Can you see it? A light shines into the darkness. has come to is here. Have no fear. Salvation has come to is here. Have no This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, can you hear all the angels at the end? This is the day, the day the life begins. This is the day, the day when life And spend a few moments praying together. And if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we give you thanks for this day you have given us.
a day to experience you, to rejoice in you, to celebrate you, and to bow before you. You know the pain in our hearts, the struggle in our minds, the difficulties that we face in our bodies. And we ask for your healing, your comfort, your peace. You see the ways in which we hurt and disappoint one another. You see our self-centered behavior, our self-destructive choices. We ask you to forgive us. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for this world. It is virtually impossible for us to truly imagine the devastation in the Philippines right now. As much as our hearts are grieving for the losses, your hearts, your heart is grieving even more. Send your spirit into that place of destruction and loss and pain and heartache. Send your people, let your people be beacons of light and bring healing and grace. And Father, lay on our hearts whatever we might do to be channels of assistance, channels of love and mercy. Father, we pray and give thanks for all who have given of themselves sacrificially for the freedoms that we enjoy. We are more privileged than we truly imagine. For everyone who has suffered from the sacrifices of war, we pray for healing. We pray for a sense of grace and peace. And Father, we ask for your protection upon our brothers and sisters who live in places of persecution. It's so easy for us to forget that so many Christians in this world live with constant threats and limited freedom to worship with the reality of violence against them simply because they call you Lord. Father, don't let us forget them. And help them to know that we remember, and more than anything, that you remember. Lord, as your children in this place, fill us with your Holy Spirit. As we move into the second week of our prayer vigil, speak deeply into our souls. Transform us in the depths of our being. Cleanse us from sin. Free us from the guilt of sin. Inspire us and equip us to live in faith and joy and truth and courage and in love. And we pray all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Please rise for the reading of the scripture. Matthew 11, verse 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and to those whom the Son has chosen to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Just another song, more than one more melody. Maybe what we need is silence. Maybe what we need is to be still and listen for the still small voice. Cause we don't want to miss a whisper. Now we lean in closer and we wait. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening, your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening, your servants. Lord, we want to know your heart. Lord, we want to know what moves you. To understand what makes you weep. To understand what makes you sing and smile. This will be our life's one quest. To seek the one whose love has sought.
servants are listening give us ears to hear help us to open our hearts to you our minds every part of our being and we ask this through Jesus amen please be seated your favorite superheroes? Coming down here because I can't hear when I'm standing up there. I listen to rock music way too long in my life. I can't hear. Who are your favorite superheroes? Batman? Okay. Superman? Iron Man? Captain America? All right. Say it again. Deep sea danger, okay. I figure that you know we have people from other countries here, so we can't they, you know surely they're not just all American. We got others. Spider Man. Say it again. I'm sorry, I still can't hear. Adventure Man. No, I don't know. I tell you, I'm listening to too much rock music. I can't hear. Ask my children. There are all kinds of superheroes. And um, when I was a kid, it was Superman, black and white TV. Uh, I know it dates me a lot. Um, and, uh, and then it was uh, Batman, you know, those really corny half-hour shows, you know, the end of it. Tune in tomorrow, same bat time, same bat station, same, you know, all that. And what I'm finding is that they can, they're sort of cycling because they look different. Superman looks different. Batman certainly looks different than he did when I was watching him. And, and, and all these other Captain America, Iron Man, all these things, but they're becoming very popular again. A lot of movies, television show, I think it's called S.H.I.E.L.D. You, you have lots of these superheroes. And one of the things they have in common is that there is evil in the world. And they have some kind of way of being equipped to handle that evil. Every one of them has some kind of superpower. You know, Batman x-ray vision and you know, strength faster than a speeding bullet. It's a thing that's uh, you know, more powerful than a locomotive. Uh, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. That was the beginning of the, Batman, or the Superman show when I was a kid. Um, you know, and, and Batman had his little utility belt and the, the Batcopter and the Batmobile and the Batcave and, you know, Bat whatever. Uh, 
And you know, you know, Iron Man has his has his you know iron suit that he wears, and everyone has the they all have his superpowers, and and they swoop in and they destroy evil. And some people say it's bad for our culture to watch that stuff because it makes us want to be violent and and evil. But I, I'm convinced that it's the opposite. I think they're simply mirroring what is already part of our culture and, quite frankly, how we think. Because what we believe, what we think, is that we conquer evil, we overcome what is bad, we accomplish things in this world, we do good, most often, by being powerful. And what intrigues me is when we come to Paul's words to the Galatian church in chapter 5, and he says, here's what it looks like to be a part, uh, to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to, to be a person who is, who is engaged in the Spirit. What comes out of you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And somehow, somehow, gentleness plays a role in what it means to change the world in a way that we don't typically think. Now, part of it's understanding what gentleness means. We tend to think of gentleness as weakness. We think of gentleness as, you know, being... Milk toast, being fragile and frail and, and, and broken. Broken down, maybe is a better way to say that. When I think of gentleness, first of all, another word that's used in, in the scriptures that is almost a, it's a synonym of gentleness is meekness. And it's a powerful word because Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Paul's just mirroring what Jesus says when he talks about gentleness. When we talk about gentleness, we think of treating people with courtesy, with kindness, sensitivity. I think of how, uh, how we hold a newborn baby. And you cradle them in your arm and you make sure that their head is supported and that they feel secure. And it's anything but weakness that holds a baby, it's, you, have to be, you have to have some strength to do that. If you are weak in your arms, you can't even hold the baby. It's only when you're strength, strong that you can do that, but it is restrained strength. Someone said, um, gentleness is, is knowing the right time to be angry and the right time to not be angry. There is an element of self-control that's a part of gentleness. And really, all the other elements of the fruit are woven into gentleness. We have love, and there is peace, and there is faithfulness, and there is goodness and kindness. They're all woven together into what it means to be gentle. But gentleness goes against the grain of how we think. It's not our default mechanism. Our default mechanism is harshness, aggressiveness, particularly if we're talking about getting things accomplished, making a difference in this world, taking down evil and doing good. You have to be aggressive to do that. You've got you to stand up. You've got you to be a presence. And you have to sometimes put your imprint onto people in order to do 
good just like the superheroes do. But, you know, actually, harshness, harshness just simply reveals our insecurities. The harshest people in the world are the most insecure people. The bully on the playground is the most insecure kid. Because he's got to fight other people. It is a sense of security. It is a sense of knowing who we are that allows us to be gentle. But it's hard in our world. You know, the writer of Proverbs says that a gentle word turns away wrath. And we look at that and we say, well, a gentle word may turn away wrath, but it, it makes you look like a chump. It's not easy. You can get pretty bruised up being gentle. That's why we chose the peach to represent gentleness because peaches can be bruised so easily. They're such a delicate, soft fruit. They don't have the kind of exterior to protect them like a banana has. And they can be hurt. And being gentle, you can get hurt. But our world is crying out for gentleness. In this world of harshness, in this world where we believe that the common solution to a problem is harshness, we're looking for gentleness. See it all around us that people believe you solve problems by being aggressive, by being harsh. Whether it is, whether it is trying to convince people that your religion is right and so you go take over a mall and kill people or whether you, you've been hurt and you want to get back at folks and so you, you go into an airport and pull a gun. We believe somehow deep in our psyche that we will accomplish what we need. We will get back at people. We will, we will fix our hurts and fix evil by being harsh. There was a fascinating article in Wired Magazine a few months ago. It's a magazine, a tech magazine. Some of you are probably familiar with it. And it, ta- it was talking about all of the, um, a lot of the tech companies, uh, Google, Facebook, Yahoo, that are, are trying to do something about all of the 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 violence and all of the, the stress that they see coming out, both in their employees, but even more in the, in the world that interacts with them as a company. And as a part of this article, talked about, they were talking about people at Facebook. And it said, when you sit with people at Facebook and they review the reports that come into them about what people post, when you see all the breakups, all the embarrassing photos, the tiffs between mothers and daughters... It's hard not to feel sad and awed at the amount of confusion and hurt. And they made this statement. Over a million of these disputes happen every week on Facebook. Wow. And it ended with these words. If you had a God's eye view of it all, wouldn't you want to handle this pain with gentle hands? There is a yearning in our world for gentleness. We just don't know what to do. And quite frankly, Christians are the only ones that can give people an example of of what it means to be gentle. Because our natural response is to be harsh, to be aggressive. And quite frankly, anyone can be harsh and aggressive. Paul says people who are filled with the Spirit, 
People are walking in the spirit. Understand that the kingdom looks different. Things are turned upside down in the kingdom of God. And what gets things accomplished, what makes a difference in this world for good is not aggressiveness. It's not harshness. It's not power and might. It's gentleness. Paul says to the Galatians, just a couple of verses after he writes this about the fruit of the Spirit, he says somebody sins in the fellowship, the way to help them, to rest- you restore them in a spirit of gentleness. That's how you handle people in need, people who are hurting, people who have caused damage. We see this throughout the rest of scripture. Proverbs talks about how a a gentle word can break a bone. There is power in that. Paul writes to Timothy about people who are opposing him. And he says the way to to handle them, the way to bring them around to, to the knowledge of God is with a gentle spirit. And Peter writes to the church and says, let people see your life, your gentleness. And he equates that with having your conscience clean so that they'll see your good life and they may realize you're a follower of Jesus and they'll want to do the same. The most profound witness we have in this world of pain and hurt and evil It's gentleness. Because it's so different. Last year at our missions convention, Ben Hegeman was talking. He brought uh, some of his students from his Islam class. And they they were there playing the role of Muslims. And we got into small groups. and, And we had conversations and scenarios with them. And what was fascinating to me as we came out of that and as Ben was describing... Those scenarios and his own experiences was very clear that they have discovered the most profound way to to get a Muslim to listen to a Christian is through a spirit of gentleness, kindness, compassion. We may disagree, and you can have disagreements, but in a spirit of gentleness. And that's hard for us. Because it's not just about what happens out there in our witness. It's not just about what we might do in some other country or people of a different uh, religion. It's about you and me right here in our lives. Gentleness needs to be a part of our homes. It needs to be a part of our place where we work. It needs to be a part of, of our dorm and our classes Gentleness needs to be a part of everything in our lives because everywhere we are, there is a battle for who gets to be first, who gets their way, whose ideas are going to be chosen, who gets to to go up the ladder first, who's going to be right. And we're continually bickering and fighting about it in our homes and and where we work and, and in the places we are connected to our schools And even in the church. 
You know, we want to think in the church, we don't have to do, we don't have to worry about this because we're all just Christians and we don't mess with it. I think sometimes we need it more in the church as much as any place else because we are dealing with eternal stuff in the church, what we consider to be the most important things in life. And we are passionate about them. And when we're passionate about something, we get riled up about it. And we should. But that sense of of being passionate can lead to aggressive behavior. And when people disagree with us, instead of listening, which is always a part of gentleness, we go after them. Because our goal is to convince them that we are right, rather than to try to find the truth. Sometimes the most volatile conversations are about theology. As crazy as that sounds. And often it's with our actions. You know, sometimes we're so passive aggressive with people that they never know what they're going to get when they're around us. And it's certainly not a gentle spirit. It creates an anxious spirit. But I think more often than not, it's with our words. We learn, we learn on the playground early. I would be surprised if any of us who grew up in this country did not grow up with this little ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right? It's a profound lie. I think most of us would rather be bruised with sticks and stones than feel the cutting remarks from people's words. A bruise will heal and go away, but those words stick with us. That's why it's so important to be gentle about what we say and to be gentle about what we write. To be gentle about how we disagree and how we critique one another. And we're not always going to agree and that would be crazy to think that we will. We learn by by engaging one another in conversation and discussion and even disagreement. That's just a part of growing and learning. But we do it in a spirit of gentleness. Because we really do want to learn. I read somewhere, someone talked about, about coming to people with verbal saws to remove spiritual slivers. Is that an interesting image? To come to one another with verbal saws to remove spiritual slivers. Years ago, the Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones told about supporting another man in his ministry, and he'd done that for a number of years. And eventually, because of Jones's financial situation, he had to he had to cease supporting him. And, and he wrote to the man about it, and the man was so irritated and upset with him that he wrote an article condemning E. Stanley Jones. And as you can well imagine, E. Stanley Jones was pretty mad about that, pretty upset about it. And so he wrote this vitriolic response, stating all the reasons why what he was doing was more important than what this guy was doing, and just took this guy to task and shredded him to pieces. But before he sent this letter, he asked a few friends to read it. It's one of the advantages to writing things out on pen and paper instead of just clicking send on an email. You've got to think about it a little bit. And one of the letters came back with just a 
couple words written across it. It said, not sufficiently redemptive. And he wadded up the letter and threw it away. Gentleness means that our words are redemptive rather than cutting and biting and hurtful. One of the desert fathers said, gentleness grows in the seed of prayer. Gentleness grows in the seed of prayer. And I am convinced just like all the other fruit of the Spirit, that gentleness will grow in us as we open our hearts to God in prayer. It's one of the reasons we keep doing these prayer vigils because we believe with all of our hearts that it's through prayer that God speaks into our lives and works in us and shows us and gives us a new vision for what life should be and how we ought to live in this world and respond to people who hurt us and shame us and, and mess us up. That we respond with gentleness. But you don't, we don't just do that on our own. That's not our default response. It's through prayer. I, I remember Richard Foster, a reading of Richard Foster in one of his books years ago. It is stuck in my mind. To pray is to change. And the change is not nearly so much about the person or the circumstance about which we're praying. It's the change that takes place in us when we pray. That we come before God and we open our hearts to God and he speaks into us and he begins to shape us and change us. And so Pete Gregg says... In prayer, we begin to take on the mannerisms of God. Because we're hanging out with God, and if we're truly open to God and we're hanging out with Him, we are going to begin looking like Him. And the reality is, we learn gentleness from God who is gentle. Now, we don't always think of God as being gentle, we don't always see Him that way. Sometimes, sometimes God looks pretty harsh, vengeful. But underlying all of that in his justice and his mercy and his grace is gentleness. Think about Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are, have rejected God. They've turned from him. And God comes to meet them in the cool of the day like he does every day. And they're not there. And he says, where are you? Now, some people interpret that as, hey, where are you? I don't think that's the way God said it. I think it was more the longing of a parent searching for their child. Where are you? I miss you. I want to be with you. In 1 Kings 18 and 19, Elijah has just defeated the 850 prophets of Baal. And it's been this awesome spiritual victory. But Queen Jezebel puts a contract out on his head. And in fear, he runs for his life. And he ends up in a cave, exhausted spiritually, physically, emotionally. He's crying out to God, I'm the only one left. There's no other, there are no other followers of you on the face of the earth. And God says, I'm going to bring a word to you. 
And Elijah goes out and stands at the entrance of the cave looking for God, waiting for God to speak. And this windstorm comes up that, that shakes the trees. But God's not in the windstorm. And then an earthquake comes that shakes the foundations of the, of the rock and the ground and everything around them. But God's not in the earthquake either. And then there is this fire that descends upon the area and he looks and he looks for God in the fire, but he's not in the fire either. And then comes a still, small, gentle whisper. And there is God. One of the most fascinating verses is what David says near the end of his life. In 2 Samuel 22, he says, God, your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. It's not your power. It's not your holiness. All of the, as important as those are, it's your gentleness that's made me great. Because David deserved anything but gentleness. David deserved justice. He deserved punishment. He deserved having everything he had, God had given him ripped away from him. And instead, he finds in God gentleness. And God offers to you and me that same spirit of gentleness. And it means the spirit of Jesus. Everything about Jesus' life is, is, is about gentleness. He comes as a, as a newborn infant. How much more gentle can you get? He, come, he, he surrenders to his parents as, as a child in gentleness. And, and he, he surrenders and submits himself to John the Baptist for baptism in a spirit of humility and gentleness. And eventually he surrenders himself in gentleness to Pilate and Caiaphas the high priest and the cross and death. And his gentleness becomes the way of salvation. His gentleness becomes the means of defeating evil in this world. He says to his disciples, take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I am gentle and humble in heart. See, when we reject gentleness as the means of changing the world, we are in essence saying, well, that might have worked for Jesus, but we live in a different culture. That kind of thing doesn't work anymore. That's not how you get things done in our world. That may have been fine 2,000 years ago, but that's not how stuff happens now. If you want to make a difference in this world, if you want to be an influence for God in this world, you've got to fight and scrape and claw, and you've got you to stand firm, and you've got to sometimes crush people to let them know who's boss and who's right. And we are, in essence, saying, Jesus is wrong. God's strategy has not changed. The gentleness of Jesus that eventually defeated the powers of darkness, the same gentleness through the Spirit in us defeats the power of darkness. 
And again, it's not weakness and it's not being fragile. It's not just giving up on life. It's not apathy about sin or truth. In fact, it's the most courageous way to live. There is no one more courageous than people who are willing to be gentle. Because you're putting yourself on the line. Instead of fighting back, you are being gentle. And when you're gentle, you can get hurt. You think about people like St. Saint, uh, Francis and Mother Teresa. I mean, gentle people, but I don't think anyone would say they weren't courageous. It is the spirit in them that gives them the courage to be gentle and to make a difference. For years, I've been fascinated by the story of the fourth century monk, Telemachus. He lived in the East and um, spent his days in, in prayer and the study of the scriptures and worshiping God. And one day in his prayers, he sensed the voice of God saying to him, go to Rome. He'd never been to Rome. He had no desire to go to Rome. But he couldn't get away from God's nudging on him, go to Rome, go to Rome. So he packed up and he went to Rome. He came into the city and and was met by this surge of the crowd. And he he got swept up in the crowd and he followed them as they made their way. He didn't know where. And eventually they ended up at the great Roman Colosseum. And and he went into the Colosseum with the crowd. And and he looked down and, and in the floor of the Colosseum, two gladiators came out in their battle armor and swords. And they began to fight one another. And all of a sudden he realized... This was going to be a fight to the death. And and he couldn't take it. And he began to yell, for the sake of Christ, forbear, stop. Of course, no one was listening to him. The crowd was in a frenzy watching these two men try to kill each other. So he ran down the stairs and he, he... jumped over the wall, down onto the floor of the Colosseum, and ran, his arms screaming, arms waving, screaming, in the name of Christ, stop. The crowd began to laugh because they thought it was just part of the show. When they realized that it wasn't, they turned ugly. He made his way to these two gladiators and he began to try to pull them apart and continued to yell, in the name of Christ, stop. And finally, one of them turned to him and plunged his sword right through his heart, through his chest. And he fell to the sand with his last breaths, said, for the name, the sake of Christ, stop. In the upper recesses of the Colosseum, a man got up out of his seat and went to the exit and left. And a few other people got up from their seats and joined him. And a few other people, and a few other people, and a few other people, until in a matter of moments, the stadium 
was completely empty. And that was the last time that gladiators fought to the death in the Roman Colosseum. I don't know what what call to gentleness will look like for you. But I do know that it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. It is the upside-down nature of the kingdom at work in this world. It is the way of Christ. And it is his call to each of us. Father, in this moment of silence, we contemplate your call to be gentle. Father, give us the courage through your spirit to embrace gentleness. To be willing to submit ourselves even to suffer for the sake of your gentleness. That makes us great. We ask this through Christ. Amen. I want to again give you an opportunity to respond to whatever God may be saying to you. There are cards at the outside ends of the inside ends of each row. Make sure everyone gets a card. And let me encourage you today to take a few moments to write something on this card that God may have said to you this morning about a call in your life to be gentle. And then to commit to, with one another to spend five minutes a day praying for God to make us gentle, to see that fruit in our lives. And if you'd like to have someone talk to you this morning, pray with you, the elders will be downstairs and be happy to do so. I want to invite you to stand as we sing together the closing song. As you go, may you know the love of Christ, how deep and long the heart and mind. As you leave, may you seek to win the prize and find his death to be your
benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.